from John 7. John 7 and verse 25. <coughs> and we'll read down to 40, 40, 43, 44. John 7. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? And here he is, speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he's the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that he cannot find, that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. And others said, He's the Christ. Still others asked, But how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Now at this point, we're going to listen to a, an old hymn. And it's one of my favorite hymns. Um, it's called... Um, how does it actually begin? I heard the I voice, heard of, the Jesus voice say? of Jesus say. That's sounds really beautifully. So let's just listen to it and that'll get you. You realize that um, there's a spirituality there that was found in Christ that's 
not far from us. And, um, and we have terrible difficulty really echoing his words uh, to people around us and speaking those wonderful words that really only he could ever say. And, um, and he said them so sincerely, so perfectly, so purely uh, to human hearts. So here, here, here are the words. I'll just read them. And, um, and the last verse, verse 39, is John's sort of commentary on, on his words. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I just wanted to simply speak to you today about the whole um, idea of thirst and, and satisfaction. If you look at the Bible, um, it's, it's certainly clear about um, one thing. It's clear about many things, but it's clear about one thing. And that is that human beings um, like us in the world uh, mistakenly satisfied with all that's around us and we think that in those things and in those experiences we've found peace and joy I mean that that is just all through the Bible and um, one of the greatest sort of commentaries on the human nature and human being is in Romans 1 2 3 um, and there you'll see that man you know tossed out the glory of God and exchanged it for a lesser glory and thought that in that lesser glory he would find peace and joy and satisfaction. And there's, there's so many other sort of <coughs> comments in the Bible that sort of lead us to think of the same thing. That In John 9, for example, later on in this book, where people were convinced that they could see, and yet Jesus said they were blind. You know, but they were convinced that they understood uh, the things of the kingdom of heaven. And Jeremiah talks about another thing where people filled up, you know, systems and drew their water from the systems, or thought they did, but the systems were broken. And so, you know, they were constantly going back to something which could never, ever satisfy them and give them that deep, um, permanent, sense of joy and peace. And then there's the sheep, you know, who went their own way, but they were lost. And that's a, you know, another sort of comment really on how we as human beings, without Christ, are satisfied, mistakenly satisfied with that which can never give us true peace and joy and life. Now, the wonderful thing about this text is that it, it's referring to some human beings who are not as I've described to you. And these human beings are the thirsty human beings. They're human beings who have, by the grace of God, come to a, a condition where they are querying and questioning whether there is true satisfaction to be found in these things, these 
these idols or whatever it is that they're giving their life to and are now starting to ask questions like the man in John 3. How can a man, when he is old, be born again? See, there's one question. And then in John 4, where can I find that living water? And then in Mark 10, that rich young man who said, how can I inherit eternal life? So you know there are people in the world who are thirsty and who are asking questions, looking, looking for answers because they, they want to know what is, the, what is the purpose in our being here? Why are we here? Who are we? as human beings and how do we find the deep satisfaction uh, that, uh, that I, I want, that we need as, as human beings. Where's that to be found? Well, Jesus has the answer and Jesus here, the last and greatest day of the feast, is speaking to the thirsty people of the world. <clears throat> So in a sense, this is not a universal proclamation, is it? But it is universal in this sense that it never uh, describes the thirsty person other than that he's thirsty. He never says he must be a rich person or a poor person or a young person or old person or Greek or, or a Roman or Chinese or whatever. You know, he never says anything like that. But he just says that they're thirsty. And he speaks to the thirsty human being. And in that sense, uh, there's a universal proclamation and invitation and promise given to thirsty people in the world. And maybe this morning, uh, because you're in church today, maybe you're one of those people. And God willing, maybe, hopefully, you're one of those people who have found satisfaction in our Lord Jesus Christ. But maybe not, you know. Maybe you're here today and still asking those questions and looking around because you know, you know that there is not the profound satisfaction for the heart, peace and rest for the soul in pursuing these other things, be they academic glory, uh, money, or sexual fulfillment in families or with women or men, you know. We find we're looking elsewhere for something which would truly give us peace and joy. So, you know, if you're one of those people and you're looking elsewhere, you're thirsty, asking questions, seeking purpose and, and answers, listen to Jesus, listen to him. That's what he's saying now in this text. Now, he's, he's making several comments here, isn't he? He's saying that we are to, uh, to come to Him alone, to nothing, nothing else, nobody, nobody else. And I think it's important that this was said on the last and greatest day of the feast, because um, in this feast, um, water actually was a, a major component in the feast. Did you know that? That every day for seven days, and this is probably the seventh, maybe the eighth and last day of the feast, but water was brought in a great golden flagon from the pool of Siloam and brought by the whole high priest and poured 
around uh, in the sacrificial areas of the temple. So it was an extremely sort of conspicuous visual sort of component of the feast. And what he's saying here is that all of that now passed into history, isn't it? You know, there's nothing there. There's no permanence there. Come to me alone uh, and you'll find rest and you'll find peace. Now, you know, if ever there's a sort of a statement in New Zealand, the Western world, to be made by Jesus, this is one that will really be decried by people in the community in, and in our society in New Zealand. I mean, we've seen just in the last week or two, just where secular man will go, everything is uh, acceptable. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll take on board every voice, no voice. Should be, should be allowed to sort of particularly dominate. All, all religions uh, have truth in them. Everything is to be accepted. And Christian people find it very difficult to know exactly how to behave uh, in these circumstances, knowing that that is not true. You know, Jesus said life and peace and joy are to be found only in him. And you're to come to me. You're not to come to anybody else, to any other person, any other personality, any other religion, any other any other thing, any other idol. But you're to come to me alone. But people don't like that. How dare he say that? How dare he, you know, make a statement which implies that others do not give and will not give life and peace. You know, they, they don't like that. And they, they don't want anyone to make exclusive comments of that kind, of that nature. And yet Christ is constantly making exclusive comments, leaving no room for anything else other than himself. He must occupy the whole of the human heart. He must have everything. You cannot serve two masters. You have to serve and must serve only Him. And He's calling you to Him, therefore, to, to believe in Him and to come to Him as the only Saviour. He says as well, you know, that we're to come as we are. Um, thirsty. You know, thirsty people, that's the interesting thing. They're, they're coming looking for something that they don't have and yet desperately need that. They have no water. And, um, and that's what Jesus is saying all through his ministry and in his preaching. He's calling on people to come to him with no, no successes in terms of righteousness and good works or whatever. He, don't, he, he won't recognize any such things. You know? Nothing is to be brought with, with you to Christ, that would be an insult to Christ, wouldn't it? In that Christ provides everything, gives all of the water that the human being needs, all of the soul satisfaction, the peace and joy that we as human beings need. So, so this is faith, and that's why in this text it moves from thirsting to believing, and mentions that several times. This man is a believing man. A believing man is someone who comes to Christ with nothing in his hands because he has to use his hands to grasp Christ completely. So he can't have anything in his hands 
when he comes to Christ. He must have his hands free to embrace Christ completely. And that's, that's faith. When we say we're believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, we're really confessing that we have no righteousness of our own, never did have, never will have, never seek to offer this in any shape or form to him. But we're coming day by day as empty human beings wanting Christ to fill us and give us the water of life to satisfy our hungry and thirsty hearts. The other thing he says here is that this quenching of our thirst, you know, this giving of the water of life, peace and joy, that understanding, sight to the human being comes through the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's His gifting of the Holy Spirit to Christian people that is the means by which we as Christian people who love our Lord Jesus Christ are constantly having a, a replenishment of that life and joy and peace which we need. It's like, a, you know, as he said in John 4 and again here, when he was talking to the woman of the well and here, it's like a spring springing up in our hearts and lives, always offering new water, new peace and joy, new life, always through the Holy Spirit, um, offering us what we constantly need and need day by day. A spring. You know, just in the house down the road from us, by the way, is if you look carefully, there's a huge house that's been built, which is now for sale. And uh, it's been built right in front of um, three oak trees. And uh, when you look at it, you think, what on earth is that house there for? When, you know, it had a whole acre of ground going right up the slope. And so and the house is right down here, jammed up by trees. And there's the north. Can't see anything but trees, you know. And there it is, this great big house. Do you know why it's there? Because when they went to build the house, where they wanted to build it, up there, they found a spring. And there's no way you can stop a spring. You know, a spring will spring forever. It will offer water. It will just reproduce water constantly, welling up from the earth. And so the house, um, geologically, I guess, or in terms of geotechnical things, you know, couldn't be built there. It just wouldn't wouldn't survive there if you built down down below. Now Jesus is giving us a spring, a lovely spring. The spring of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit in the hearts of people who believe in Him is constantly replenishing um, the things that we deeply, deeply need as human beings. That deeper satisfaction which we need as a human being, which only God can give peace and rest, which only God can give for our souls. That is constantly provided for us. Uh, by the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, he gave that Holy Spirit in the past and he gives the Holy Spirit today uh, to everyone who believes in him. That's his gift to you. And that gift is a sure sign that he loves you and intends to care for you for eternity. 
So he's giving you something concrete, really, now. Something that has visual effects and consequences in our lives now. So that you can be totally confident and assured that he has his hand on you and is bringing you to the place where he is. So what a, what a wonderful thing. That's really all I wanted to say. It's pretty, pretty weak and pretty pathetic. <laughs> I've been working on it for hours and you uh, can't say what Jesus says. And, uh, but you listen to what Jesus says. When you, and, uh, and I hope today, you know, if, you're, if you're not a Christian, and, and you still, you know, you're still uh, there. Maybe, maybe you're, you're deeply satisfied and, uh, and uh, maybe I've caused you to think a little bit about is there anything to be found outside of Christ? Because you, as a, in your 30s, in your 20s, have still not found it yet. You never will find it. You, know? you never will find satisfaction and peace and joy outside Christ. It will be only in Him. So if, you, if you're thirsty and you're looking and you know something's deeply missing in your heart and, you, and you're unhappy, inwardly unhappy with where you are and what you are as a human being, listen to them. Come to me, all you're thirsty, and I'll give you a drink, living springs, Holy Spirit. So let's pray that. Hey, this morning we're going to pray for, for New Zealand and uh, for the Muslim community in New Zealand, about 50,000 people in New Zealand. We pray for the church, aren't we? And um, in New Zealand, in this sort of situation that we never believed ourselves to ever have been in, would be in. Uh, let's pray for Mozambique and uh, Zimbabwe, you know. These are African countries, and um, and very often, sadly, you know, because they're poor, they don't get the attention that uh, we get in the news. Um, so let's pray for them. And there hundreds of thousands of people in desperate situation. And uh, look, I wanted to pray too for Abby, who's just here, and uh, you know, just been talking to Abby, who's got issues and problems here which need to be you know, fixed up, and. Um, and the Lord's going to look after her. Kathy's been encouraging her with a story of one of her um, sisters in law who's had the same problem when she was 16. And now she's got three kids and she's in her 70s, I guess. So, you know, there's, the Lord's going to look after you and bless you and, um, and in your future operations and things in life and that you have in front of you. So, let's pray. Lord, we pray for the Muslim community in New Zealand. And uh, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have as neighbours and friends to say hello to them, to love them, and to love them with the compassion and the love and joy that we know are only to be found through the Holy Spirit because they're the fruits of the Holy Spirit and of Him alone. Everything else is there by the grace of God, joy and peace in the community, but it's not what God can truly give. You do give us tolerance and you give us joy and you give us 
you give us some love in the community and we're so thankful for that because we know that if you were to withdraw from the community of the world then there would only be a massive outbreak of hatred <coughs> and, and misery so thank you for the work that you're doing in the hearts of New Zealanders and maybe turning people to think more deeply about the place of religion and spirituality in their lives and maybe they in turn will listen to the voice of Christ. We pray, Lord, too, for um, Mozambique and Zimbabwe. Uh, these countries particularly have been, that have suffered terribly through this dreadful cyclone and uh, wrecking absolute misery on the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. And we pray once again for the church in Mozambique and Zimbabwe and in other surrounding countries that the church in Africa will really see this as a great opportunity to demonstrate love. And we pray for the, the great Christian non-governmental organizations that they'll also be blessed in knowing how they can um, react to such a terrible, terrible sea. We pray for all the people who are working there to help, give them tremendous strength and help them to see those things, that, those people that need help today. Look after the children, look after the mothers who want to feed the children, look after those who have suffered loss and lost loved ones particularly. We also pray for Abby, and Lord, we pray that you will be with her today, and we thank you that she is looking to you, and we're looking to you for her, and that you look after her, and you can be with her in the stormy days, as well as the peaceful and sunny days, and we thank you that you've got everything in, in hand, and you will you are there to care for her and to love her and whatever it is that you seek fit to bring into her life and to our lives uh, help us to truly learn to be content in whatever circumstances you place us to be in. Help us to be that person particularly because we know we need to rejoice with you and in you um, whether we're in health or in sickness. Thank you today for both of these things that you see fit to bring into our lives. We thank you so much for sickness, particularly because it, it focuses our hearts and minds on you. And everything fades away. And we know that there only really, the only really important thing to us human beings is, do we know you? Do we love you? Have we heard your voice come unto me, those two ones, and drink and obey. Help us to obey your voice. Bless us now.